Good morning, Playbookers. I'm Raguman of Allin. A new 2024 challenger appears. Harris heads to Germany, plus a California senator announces her retirement. Here are the big things we're watching for Wednesday, February 15th. Nikki Haley has officially entered the fray. As Politico's Natalie Allison reports out of Charleston, South Carolina, stepping out ahead of a field of men who spent the better part of two years mulling and flirting with a 2024 run, Nikki Haley marked her entrance into the Republican presidential primary with an announcement video and a formal event on Wednesday. It's a direct bet by the former South Carolina governor that a party that has never nominated a woman as its standard bearer, let alone seen a woman candidate win a single primary state, is ready to do just that. It's also a gamble that she can merge various threads of republicanism that at times seem at odds. Tonight, Vice President Kamala Harris will board Air Force Two for the Munich Security Conference, the annual confab of global political, defense, and intelligence leaders. It stands to be the most critical foreign trip of her vice presidency, at least since last year's trip to Bavaria. That visit came just days before Russia invaded Ukraine and Harris delivered a sobering in-person message there to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, encouraging him to prepare for an imminent full-scale attack and pledging full support from the United States. This year, she returns to brace the Western alliance for a sustained and costly conflict, arguing that the need to counter Russian aggression outweighs the dire impact the invasion has had on the world economy and energy security in Europe. The vice president had an exclusive interview with Playbook's Eugene Daniels on Tuesday. You can catch the full thing in today's playbook, but a note while excerpt. Harris said that the recent U.S. downing of a Chinese surveillance balloon over American waters should not have an impact on diplomatic relations between the two global superpowers. Her blunt reply, I don't think so, no. Everything that has happened in the last week and a half is, we believe, very consistent with our stated approach to China, she added, which has been about competition, but not conflict or confrontation. Her schedule to the conference, which we're told is still being finalized, includes a speech to the conference on Saturday, meeting with UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, Finnish Prime Minister Sanna Marin, and Swedish Prime Minister Ulf Kristersson, along with meetings with bipartisan delegations of US lawmakers. Senator Dianne Feinstein, the oldest sitting senator at age 89, announced yesterday that she would retire at the end of her term in 2024. Playbook editor Mike DeBonis and deputy editor Zach Staten reflected on her career in politics and looked at what's next for her Senate seat. Zach, before we get into what this means for California and for the Senate going forward, which uh, is a huge topic uh, with a lot of ins, a lot of outs, and a lot of what have yous, as a great man once said, we should take a moment to sort of look back on this remarkable career, really more than 50 years in the public eye for Dianne Feinstein uh, in the city of San Francisco and in the state of California, and uh, for the last almost four decades in Washington. What are people going to remember about Dianne Feinstein's act? Well, you know, the, the L.A. Times in an appreciation of her uh, since her resignation or since her retirement was announced, I should say, referred to her as one of the giant redwoods of California politics. And I think that's sort of an, an apt description. You know, her career really blazes through the last half century plus of democratic politics in, in California and nationally. 
you go back decades and Dianne Feinstein's father uh, was a, a doctor and a friend of both the Newsom family and of of Pat Brown, of, of, of Jerry Brown's dad. Uh, and yet her entry into politics, her first real political act as an adult, was uh, protesting segregated housing and uh, demonstrating in favor of a young African-American attorney uh, named Willie Brown uh, to be able to to buy the house of his his own choosing. Willie Brown, of course, later became sort of the maestro of of California Democratic politics and, and mayor of San Francisco. But but Diane Feinstein is is sort of a singular presence. You know, she was elected to the city board of supervisors in in, in the late sixties. Uh, she became mayor of San Francisco in in the worst way imaginable, where. Uh, Mayor George Moscone uh, was assassinated in his city hall office by by Dan White, who uh, is a former police officer, former fireman, who uh, was also, until very recently, had been a member of the city board of supervisors with Dianne Feinstein. And of course, uh, Dan White also assassinated Harvey Milk, uh, the famous openly gay a uh, member of the Board of Supervisors who was a frequent thorn in the side of uh, some of the city's more traditional Democratic establishment candidates and and was oftentimes sort of a foil of, of Dianne Feinstein's. And as if that were not a tumultuous enough way to begin uh, her time as, as mayor, when she literally found the bodies of her colleagues in City Hall and tried to stanch the bleeding, uh, you know, putting her finger in, in the bullet hole, as she later described it, Within a couple of weeks of taking office, uh, within I think it was ten days, uh, you had the Jonestown massacre, uh, which took place obviously in in Guyana, but uh, involved the People's Temple, which was until very recently had been based in San Francisco. So you have hundreds of of people from San Francisco, uh, hundreds of people related to uh, residents to constituents of hers, who who are killed, and it's this incredible, incredible way to take office and and the challenges that you then face when you have a, a former member of the Board of Supervisors who is uh, on trial for, for killing a current member of the Board of Supervisors and the current mayor. And her task is really to try and bring the city together and maintain a sense of calm. And yet she is able to really bring the city together, you know, you have the 1984 Democratic National Convention in San Francisco. And, and by that point, she had already sort of revived the city's image to such an extent that Walter Mondale, when he was choosing who his running mate would be, it was a choice between two women. It was a choice between Geraldine Ferraro and San Francisco Mayor Dianne Feinstein. There's there's quite memorably, it was a Time Magazine cover, you know, asking, why not a woman? And it had the picture of just those two. And he ended up going with Geraldine Ferraro, but there are all sorts of questions that this begs. You know, if Dianne Feinstein hadn't knocked down the glass ceiling in San Francisco, would you have had a Nancy Pelosi? Would you have had a Kamala Harris? Uh, both women, San Francisco Democratic politics, uh, who were elected in the years after Dianne Feinstein uh, shattered that ceiling. Right. And we should say, and just to pivot to her career in Washington quickly, um, yeah. you know, she comes to Washington uh, in 1992, as the face of the the uh, the so-called year of the woman, uh, right. being elected um, in a special election just a few months before her fellow California Senator Barbara Boxer, they're elected together to full terms, and she really becomes a symbol of the the rise uh, of 
female power in the United States Senate, um, going from really a small handful of women in the chamber to now well over a dozen and, uh, you know, really in, in the, you know, women holding significant power, including Senator Patty Murray, now, you know, the Senate, uh, the, the Senate president pro tem third in line to the presidency. She was there for this whole and has been there for this whole era where women really get integrated into the real power of the Senate. And she does some, you know, pretty um, consequential things. And I'll just name a couple very quickly. You know, she plays a very uh, consequential role in uh, uh, passing the federal assault weapons ban in 1994. She's, you know, two years into her first term. And of, and of course, with that, there was the very memorable exchange she had on the floor of the Senate with with Senator Larry Craig, where he suggested right. she didn't she yeah. did, he, that she lacked knowledge of firearms. And she, you know, quite pointedly said, I actually became mayor as a result of assassination. You know, I I know quite a lot about firearms. Yeah, and and I I did I did some reporting into this when you know a lot of the gun legislation was under discussion last year, and um, you know Joe Biden got a lot of credit as chair of the Judiciary Committee, and so did um, you know Dennis DeConcini had had an assault weapons ban bill, um, but Feinstein really came through and really muscled it through in a way. You know, this is something that had languished in the Senate for several years before she showed up and, you know, she played a, a really significant role in making that happen. And then the other thing she, I think she's going to be remembered for uh, primarily is, um, you know, her role in cleaning up the mess that of the CIA and the enhanced interrogation practices there as chairman of the Intelligence Committee uh, in the you know early part of the 21st century in the aftermath of Abu Ghraib and, and everything else. She went toe to toe with <laughs> some of the most powerful and unaccountable people in the country, and uh, you know produced uh, you know some accountability for that. And um, I think those two things are, are pretty remarkable. And it's made, you know, the, you know, I hate to see the spectacle of the last couple of years where where she's clearly been in decline, has been a shadow of her former self. But I think legislatively, you know, she's got uh, quite a legacy uh, to contend with. Yeah. And, and so now the question in some ways is who can fill her quite formidable shoes? And there are any number of people who are eyeing, uh, eyeing a chance to to run for her seat. Uh, some of them have already announced their candidacies. Among them are Katie Porter, who is out of Orange County, uh, who is a, an acolyte of Elizabeth Warren and has been endorsed by Elizabeth Warren. You have Adam Schiff, the congressman from the L.A. area, who uh, has already been endorsed by Nancy Pelosi and is uh, seen in many ways as sort of the favorite of the more establishment wing of the Democratic Party. But with Feinstein bowing out here, you could see all sorts of names jump into this race uh, because these seats open up so rarely in, in California um, that there is such a wealth of talent politically in that state uh, and so many people angling for a national platform that, you know, you could see many, many, many people uh, at least exploring the option of, of running for Senate here. Right. We already have, we're already expecting uh, Congresswoman Barbara Lee from Oakland to jump in in the coming days and weeks. Uh, she's made no secret of the fact that she's interested in running. But, you know, it, it's it's really, it, it's a strange set of circumstances because of, you know, it being an open secret that, uh, you know, she was not going to be running again that you've basically had the shadow campaign playing out for several months now, if not longer than that. And, you know, you already have two extremely formidable candidates in Katie Porter and Adam Schiff who just have 
um, absolutely astounding fundraising capacity in the race. I, I actually think it's going to be very difficult to see um, a, another candidate pop up and sort of enter that top echelon. Just you, you may very given, well be right. I mean, you know, it, it may yeah. just be that they crowd out the rest of a, a would-be field. But, you know, one thing to keep in mind, of course, is that California has the jungle primary system where it's it's the top two vote getters from the primary who advance to the general election, regardless of party. So it could be that the general election is Katie Porter versus Adam Schiff, that it could just be two Democrats that advance to the general. Um, and so while it would not traditionally be the case that Diane Feinstein, whose uh, popularity has sort of been waning in recent years uh, statewide, but certainly among the Democratic base, uh, you know, she perhaps lacks the capacity to be sort of the kingmaker. But, you know, if you are just competing for moderates in the general election and you're campaigning for sort of traditional old school Democratic voters, it could be that her her endorsement uh, of of someone and you have to imagine that Adam Schiff is is more a, a Feinstein type than a Katie Porter would be. Uh, it could be that her 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 support could actually matter here. Uh, yeah. And uh, and we should note that, you know, another titan of California politics, Nancy Pelosi, has already uh, weighed in and said, you know, she sort of conditioned it on, oh, if Dianne Feinstein decides to retire, I endorse Adam Schiff. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of endorsements that really matter, but you have to think that just given the stature of Nancy Pelosi and Dianne Feinstein, those are two. Any candidate would be very pleased to have those endorsements. The big question to me is, you know, you meant you mentioned, you know, this kind of, you know, there's a going to be a competition for moderate votes in a in a top two, you know, assuming that there isn't going to be a, a Republican nominee in the final round. And really in statewide races in California, it's it's become increasingly rare that Republicans make that that top two runoff. It's really going to present an interesting dilemma, uh, particularly, you know, for, for our Republican voters even going to show up and vote if their you know, choices are. Uh, Katie Porter and Adam Schiff, I think. And I think it's kind of an interesting question, particularly for Schiff, who I think is is going to try to occupy the sort of traditional Dianne Feinstein lane, which is be the most moderate Democrat in the race, appeal to the center. Uh, you know, for Feinstein, it was it was tough on crime and sort of fiscal issues. You know, Schiff is not sort of that um, performatively moderate, but uh, right. he's certainly more moderate than Katie Porter. Um, but boy, he has this reputation among Republican voters from his time as intelligence chairman and his role in in the first Trump impeachment uh, that I, you know, it's really difficult to see a lot of Republican voters showing up uh, in a presidential election. You don't think in a, there, in a, you a don't presidential think there are many election cr here. crossover Trump shift voters. So uh, th that's one thing that I'm just extremely curious about. So, yeah, you may very well be right about that. Uh, you know, one thing to keep in mind, though, is that. You did have a lot of Republican voters who who ended up voting for Dianne Feinstein in 2018 when it was a runoff uh, general election between her and Kevin DeLeon, who at the time was uh, the top Democrat in the state Senate and, of course, has gone on to uh, be a, a member of the L.A. City Council and has been embroiled in, in uh, a very uh, bizarre scandal there um, with, with charges of, of racism. Uh and it, it may very well be that the same forces that kind of propelled Dianne Feinstein to a really easy reelection win in 2018 
could end up benefiting Schiff, but I, I do think that you are right about it being unlikely that there are as many sort of, you know, Trump uh, Schiff crossover voters, if presuming Trump is in fact the nominee in 24. Um, you know, it, you could see a lot of drop off there and, and whether whether that could benefit a Katie Porter or, or someone else in the more progressive lane. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. We will be waiting and seeing indeed. Thank you, Zach. Uh, much appreciated. Thanks. Here's what's up in Washington today, starting with the White House. At 1.25 p.m. Eastern, President Joe Biden will depart the White House to head to Lanham, Maryland. There, he'll deliver remarks on the economy at 2.30. At 8.30, Vice President Kamala Harris will depart D.C. to head to Munich, Germany. The House is out today. The Senate will meet at 10 a.m. to resume consideration of Adrian Nelson's judicial nomination. Daniel Werfel will testify before the Senate Finance Committee on his nomination to be IRS Commissioner. Acting FAA Administrator Billy Nolan will testify before the Commerce Committee at 10 a.m. on the failure of the FAA's notice to air mission system. All right, for more news on what's breaking in D.C. right now, subscribe to the Playbook newsletter. That's at politico.com slash playbook. Our music is composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Raghu Munavalan. Have a good Wednesday. We'll see you first thing tomorrow morning. Thank you.